What do you think the most significant way is that you, as a Christian, will witness to other people? Do you think it'll be conversations that you have with non-Christian friends and neighbours, you know, chatting about what it means for you to be a Christian? Do you think that it will be inviting them along to outreach events that we run here at church? I suppose all of those things are great and they will be things that will potentially have an impact on people. But the thing that will have the greatest impact on your non-Christian friends, the thing that will have the greatest impact on their thinking about Christianity will be the day-to-day life that you live. They'll see your marriage, they'll see the way that you handle your money, They'll see the way that you parent. They will see what kind of neighbour you are. People will see how you act, how you speak, how you treat other people. And all of that speaks volumes about the difference that Jesus has made in your life. Or it should speak volumes of the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And if you're married then your marriage will be the thing that people will look at. They'll make an assessment about Christianity based on what they see in your marriage if they know that you are a Christian friend. Our society is very quick to point out the failings of Christians, especially Christian leaders and especially high-profile Christian leaders. Those stories will make it onto the news if money has been mishandled or a marriage has broken up. So if people know that you are a Christian, they will make an assessment about Christianity based on what they see in you. And I think the Apostle Paul is well aware of that as well, which is why we have this next section that we're looking at in Ephesians, starting at chapter 5, verse 21, through to chapter 6, verse 9. What we move on to now in Ephesians is the practical application of the things that Paul's been saying earlier on in the letter. And in this section, he's looking at three relationships, husbands and wives, children and parents, and slaves and masters. Now, these were not new categories or revolutionary things for Paul to be writing about. Anyone in the Roman Empire would have understood those three relationships because they were part of what was called a household code. About 400 years before the Apostle Paul put pen to paper, Aristotle had already talked about this. In a work that we call politics, he was trying to, trying to think about how the Roman Empire ought to work, how it ought to be governed and ruled, and, and he knew that family relationships were an important part of that. So this is what Aristotle said. The first and the fewest possible parts of a family are master and slave, husband and wife, father and children. We have therefore to consider what each of these three relations is and ought to be. Now don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that Paul's trying to copy what Aristotle said. Paul offers a pretty radical restatement of what uh, what, um, Aristotle was talking about. Three relationships, he says, that ought to be changed and shaped by your relationship with God through Jesus. Now before we look at the first of these relationships... It's important to see Paul's overriding principle right at the beginning of this passage. Chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Now, that's not a surprise statement from Paul. Jesus had already used almost exactly those words. What Paul starts with is the principle that Jesus has already given us a bunch of instructions about how it is that we should love each other and support each other and care for each other. Jesus has given practical examples by washing his disciples' feet. He told the disciples that if they want to be great in the kingdom, then they need to become the servant of everybody. And we find that echoed all the way through the New Testament in those one another passages. Love one another, serve one another, be devoted to one another, honour one another above yourselves. And the list could go on and on. In a world where we're encouraged to stand up for our rights, Paul says the driving motivator for us as followers of Jesus is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now again, before we jump in to look at what he has to say about husbands and wives, we need to notice how this is addressed. Paul writes directly to each person in the relationship. So as you're listening to this, make sure you listen carefully to the bit that applies to you. Uh, Don't think about the bit that applies to your partner. Think about the bit that applies to you. Paul has written to wives and to husbands and to children and to servants And each person needs to listen to the advice that Paul is giving to them. There's a big temptation when we focus on passages like this is that we want to focus on what everybody else ought to be doing and we don't think too hard about what we ought to be doing. Now, it would be dumb for me not to acknowledge that this is a fairly contentious passage, uh, certainly in the day and age in which we are living. And it's really just one word, isn't it? Wives, verse 22... Submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. Now, without stating the glaringly obvious, let's remember that the verse before that said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that this is going to be an easy thing to do, but the fact that Jesus got down on his knees with a towel around his waist and wash the disciples' feet, well, that wasn't an easy thing to do either, was it? But the other thing to be clear about here is what Paul is saying to husbands. It strikes me that every time I read this passage, more is asked of husbands than it is of wives. Husbands are to be completely self-sacrificial in their relationship with with their wives. Husbands are to love their wives just as much as Christ loved the church laying down his life for her. might seem a trivial thing, but it's also worth noting that 55 words are devoted here to talking about what wives need to be doing and 162 devoted to the husbands. And let me say it again, if you're sitting here as a husband or a wife, think about your role. Think about what Paul is saying how it is that we can lift our game so that we're more accurately fulfilling the role that we have as husbands and wives. Because if you're looking at this and thinking, well, my husband needs to or my wife really ought to, then you've missed the point of what Paul is saying. Now, moving on to the slightly less controversial one, Paul says this in chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. 
And then verse 4 he says this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. When our kids were younger, I always thought this passage was very unfair. I'm not sure why it is they're allowed to exasperate me, but I'm not allowed to exasperate them. Third relationship that he talks about is slaves and masters. It always amuses me that we just gloss quickly over this. And the thing that we do is we actually just glean a couple of principles that might apply in the workplace. But he's talking about a system of slavery. Where, and, and, but we just want to simply try and reinterpret that as employee and employer. We don't want to give the suggestion that Paul was in any way supportive of slavery. We hear the word slave and we tend to think of people picking cotton in the south of the United States in the 1800s, but that's not exactly what it would have looked like. Probably about 25% of the population in Rome would have had a slave or a servant working for them. If someone found themselves in financial difficulty, uh, have accumulated some debt, they could actually become a slave in order to pay off their debt. Now, I'm not suggesting that slavery is a good career move, and slaves were often treated very badly. But as slaves, they were to use their role to serve others and, above all, to serve Jesus. It was tough, hence Paul's words. Christian slaves and Christian and masters are to remember their relationship with God and they're to let that shape their relationship with each other. So why is Paul saying all of this? Well, I think the answer is pretty simple. Like I said at the start, your life, your relationship with others will be the clearest witness that you can have of your trust in Jesus. It was true back in Paul's day and it's true today. When you have a marriage where you are seeking to support and encourage and love your partner, People will notice that because that won't be what their marriage is necessarily like. Your neighbours should recognise that you're different, that you're gracious and compassionate and generous and kind. Your workmates should see it. They should see the fruit of the Spirit. They should see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. They should see those things in your marriage. They should see those things in your family. They should see those things in your working life. So I'm sure Paul would say, what do they see in your life? What kind of witness do you have as a husband or a wife? What kind of witness do you have as a parent? What kind of witness do you have as a worker or as a boss? 